Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. If weather is your mood, then climate is your personality. That's an analogy some scientists use to help explain the difference between these two words that people sometimes get mixed up. In other words, weather exists in the short term. It's the state of the atmosphere in a specific area during a limited period of time. Uh, Think minutes, hours, days, or weeks. Climate, meanwhile, describes long-term average trends in weather. And if you're interested in the latter, you'd better know geography. Our global climate is made up of many smaller regional climates. Break those down and you'll find local variations at just about every conceivable scale. And that brings us to microclimates, an amazing subject with broad applications for farming, conservation, wildlife management, and city planning. Climates are a bit like woven tapestries. The big picture is important, no question, but so are all the seemingly minor details found inside the larger whole. We spoke via email with Tommaso Eucher, an environmental scientist at the University of Bristol. He said he would define the term microclimate as, quote, the suite of climactic conditions, temperature, rainfall, humidity, solar radiation, measured in localized areas, typically near the ground and at spatial scales that are directly relevant to ecological processes. We'll talk about that last bit in a minute, but first, there's another criteria to discuss. According to some researchers, a microclimate, by definition, must differ from the larger area that surrounds it. Forests provide us with some great examples. We also spoke via email with University of Montana ecologist Solomon Dabrowski. He said, The climate near the ground in a tropical rainforest is dramatically different from the climate in the canopy, 50 meters or about 160 feet above. This vertical gradient, among other factors, allows for the staggering biodiversity we see in the tropics. Likewise, scientists observed that a 2015 partial solar eclipse caused the air temperature of an Eastern European meadow to change more dramatically than it did in a nearby forest. That's because trees provide not only shade, but their leaves also reflect solar radiation. At the same time, forests tend to reduce wind speeds. And all of those factors add up. A 2019 review of 98 wooded places spread out across five continents found that forests are about four degrees Celsius cooler on average than the areas outside of them. That's around seven degrees cooler in Fahrenheit. Now, if you hate the cold, don't worry. There's a cozy exception to the rule. According to that same study, forests are usually one degree Celsius or about 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the external environment during wintertime, which is pretty cool. So when does a microclimate stop being, well, micro? In other words, is there a maximum size we should be aware of when discussing them? It depends on who you ask. Euchre said, in terms of horizontal scale, some have defined microclimate as anything that's less than 100 meters or about 300 feet in range. I'm personally less prescriptive about this. Instead, he says the scales we consider microclimates at should be determined by the questions we're trying to answer. Quote, if I want to know how temperature affects the photosynthesis of a leaf, I should be measuring temperature at centimeter scale. If I want to know if and how temperature affects the habitat preference of a large mobile mammal, it's probably more relevant to capture temperature variation across tens to hundreds of meters. But 
Yes, solitary plants have the power to generate itty-bitty microclimates. Just ask Peter Blanken, a geography professor at the University of Colorado Boulder and the co-author of a 2016 book called Microclimate and Local Climate. He said via email, a single stalk of corn can create its own microclimate through the shading and changes in soil properties in the immediate vicinity of the stalk. For a field of corn, the microclimate created would be much larger, extending over the entire field. Many organisms eke out a living in some of the dinkiest microclimates you can imagine. Take aphids, spider mites, and leaf miner insects. All those critters are dwarfed by the plant leaves they feed on, and every leaf comes with its own microclimate. Observations show that aphids seek out cooler leaves, while those other invertebrates prefer warmer ones. Because none of these animals can generate their own body heat, leaf microclimates have a critical effect on their well-being. It's no secret that our planet is going through some rough times at the macro level. The global temperature is climbing. Nine out of the 10 hottest years on record have occurred since 2005. And by one recent estimate, roughly 1 million species around the world are facing extinction due to human activities. Euchre said, one of the big questions that ecologists and environmental scientists are trying to answer right now is how will individual species and whole ecosystems respond to rapid climate change and habitat loss? To me, microclimates are a key component of this research. If we don't measure and understand climate at the appropriate scale, then predicting how things will change in the future becomes a lot harder. Developers have long understood the impact that small-scale climates have on our daily lives. Urban heat island is a term for cities that have higher temperatures than neighboring rural areas. Plants release vapors that can moderate local climates, but in cities, natural greenery is often scarce. To make matters worse, plenty of our roads and buildings are made of materials that absorb or re-emit heat from the sun, and vehicle emissions don't exactly help the situation. Still, it's not like Boston or Beijing are thermal monoliths. Sometimes the documented temperatures within a single city vary by 15 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 8 to 11 degrees Celsius. That's where metro parks and city trees come in. They have good cooling effects on nearby neighborhoods. Blinken said, several cities around the world have developed programs to increase urban green spaces. Tree planting programs and green roof programs have been shown to lower surface temperatures, decrease air pollution, and decrease surface water runoff or urban flash flooding in urban areas. Today's episode was written by Mark Mancini and produced by Tyler Klang. For more on this and lots of other cool topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 